Hey, pastors, we know you love your clerical shirt because of what it means, but how does it feel? Under all those vestments, is it hot and sticky? Is it too tight, too loose, or just not comfortable? Wicking Vicar has the solution for you. The Performance Clerical Shirt, featuring four-way stretch to let you move and moisture-wicking fabric to keep you cool. Plus, it's machine washable and wrinkle-resistant. Visit wickingvicar.com and treat yourself to more stretch, more movement, and easy care. The Performance Clerical from wickingvicar.com. wickingvicar.com. Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to follow Paul's words from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may be one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony in Christ through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We will begin our time united in Christ, confessing the truth of God's word by going back to the basics, Luther's small catechism. Especially today, we will, we will continue our study on the, on the Ten Commandments. So test off your Christ-filled, trusty little book as we look at Martin Luther's Ten Commandments of the Small Commandment, the Small Catechism. Excuse me, not Martin Luther's, but from the Scripture, the Ten Commandments. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Small Catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Since I'm new to Concord Matters, I'm not new to KFUO, but new to Concord Matters, I want to hear where you are studying with us from. When not during my time on Thy Strong Word, we had people from around the world, as we know it is, after all, Christ for you anytime, anywhere, worldwide KFUO. Let us know. Send us an email. Tell us where you're listening from and maybe share a little bit of encouragement or even some thoughts that you might have on Concord Matters. Send us to this as we know that it is all about Christ. Joining us in the clear confession of Christ this morning is Pastor Philip Hoppe, a pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Colby, Kansas. Pastor Hoppe, welcome to Concord Matters. Hey, glad to be with you to discuss the basics of the faith that also are the chief things that guide our lives every day. Pastor, tell us what's going on for you. I'm, I'm still, for you, our listeners, good for you to know, Pastor Hoppy was in the district that I serve here in Minnesota North District for quite a while. And, and uh, all of a sudden, now I'm saying Trinity Lutheran in Kansas. I'm not getting used to that. So, Pastor, tell us, how's it going for you and your family and the great people in Colby, Kansas? Well, yeah, we've been here just a little over half a year now. And so we're, uh, you know, feeling like we're more settled in and getting to know the people and just trying to kind of, uh, you know, all together direct uh, uh, our attention to getting uh, ourselves filled up with Christ and then uh, sharing that also with our community as well. So, Pastor, as we look at the Ten Commandments, let's just get into this. It has these words that often we overlook. We go right to Exodus 20 and we're kind of digging deep into that, looking at the small catechism. And on page 13, reminder to our listeners, we'll be using Luther's small catechism with explanation, which was published in 2017 by Concordia Publishing House. There's many different versions out there, but this is the version we'll be using throughout our small catechism study. And if you go to page 13 uh, of this version, it says, 
the Ten Commandments, and then often we just run to the First Commandment, uh, which is good. Uh, we did that with, with Dr. Plus. But it says in between there, as the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household, which is interesting words, not one that we usually memorize, but they are words that's kind of like, huh, is that still relevant for, for today? Because this was written in the 16th century. I mean, come on, we, you know, the time has passed. Are these words still relevant for us today? Yeah, I think they're, in fact, you know, words we need to really take to heart. And like you said, maybe for a while we've sort of um, ignored those words, uh, not out of any sort of malice towards them, but just, you know, like you said, we kind of just, well, where do we learn the small catechism? And, you know, one uh, thing I've always thought of is, you know, when you usually would ask somebody, well, you know, who handed you your first small catechism? And usually the answer will be, you know, a pastor or perhaps a different church worker, maybe a Sunday school teacher, something like that. Uh, but instead, you know, uh, we get that originally this was intended uh, for the head of the household, for the parent to teach their child. And, and you know, part of the reason it is even constructed the way it is, it's simplicity, we might say, uh, is because uh, of its intended use. And I think that's the beautiful thing for our day too, because I think we're, we have a growing number of parents that sense that they have this personal responsibility to teach their children the faith, but there's always the how question, right? And the catechism is an easy answer to that how question. You, I mean, you could say in one way, you, you wouldn't have to know anything. You could just read the question and read the answer. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, obviously most of our parents have some additional knowledge that they can add to that. But, you know, if you're just terrified, this is a great, simple resource to begin to teach your children the faith. And as you go through it, you'll grow in faith as well. The Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton started our study off, and he's one that found an old hymnal at a garage sale, had, had actually left the Lutheran church, found this old hymnal and read it, and he read those words, and he's like, hmm, I can do that. So that's what they would do around the dinner table, simply um, confess back and forth. One, he would say the first commandment. His family would say, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? And then they would read together, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And he said, sometimes the kids would look at him and go, okay, all right, let's move on. And sometimes like, well, wait a second here. What's a God? You know, right. uh, what, what's this? What's that? And, and that's how would you encourage a parent or uh, a grandparent or whoever it might be to be able to you, utilize this great Christ-centered resource in their homes and in their family? Well, I think maybe the most simple way is to say just take it out and use it, right? I mean, even, and again, you each, you know, will know your own children or perhaps grandchildren in some cases. Um, but, you know, if they're children that love to read, just say, hey, we got this new book and we're going to, you know, it kind of has parts for both of us that we can read, um, you know, so use it in a way that it's not, you know, brought in in an intimidating manner, but just, you know, here's something simple we can do. Because like I said, I mean, originally and ever since, that's really its intended use is to be a simple resource that literally any Christian can use to teach another the faith. Well, let's look into the small catechism. We are in the third and fourth commandments we'll be covering today. And pastor, as we look at the third commandment, this is one we've had many discussions about this. And it is... It, it's one of those that we can look at and go, all right, 
I do that, problem solved. I go to church on Sunday, boom. But maybe there's a little more to the story. So let's let's dig in. Once again, we're on page 13 of Luther's small catechism with explanation, and we hear the word of God. The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that do not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Pastor, as you look at this, what's the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath, you know, originally we might say is this, you know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, if you're looking at them right in their uh, original scriptural context, you know, all of these, well, I guess I shouldn't say all the commandments, but a lot of them are obviously shortened again for the sake of simplicity, or at least not all the context is given. But in the original context, right, the Sabbath is this thing that God created back in Genesis when he created for six days, uh, then he rested for a day. And then it's picked up again in the Ten Commandments to say, you know, that obviously this was not done uh, for God's sake, but for man's sake, uh, that God knew we would need rest in general, and that we would also need rest in order that we might uh, meditate on his word, and then we might receive his gifts, that we might gather with his people. And so, you know, the when you read the original context, actually most of the wording that you will find there is about physical rest. And I think it's kind of implied, and we see this, uh, you know, more explicitly in other places in the scripture, where then we're kind of told that these times of rest that were set apart uh, were then, you know, put to use uh, in, in you know, a large part to meditate on God's word. And we, I think we still see this, you know, we, we don't have this as much as we did, but go back a couple generations ago and, you know, you might ask, well, why, you know, do we have this five-day work week kind of idea. Why do we have Saturday and Sunday off? And, you know, we might want to answer now, well, you know, to watch college football and pro football, you know. (laughs) Uh, But the truth is, right, it was ultimately so that people could worship, right? So that um, the Jewish people, you know, in in our country and in our, you know, kind of I guess history in, in Western civilization, right? The there was kind of a respect both for Jewish practices and for Christian ones, and so if you took both of their holy days, uh, Saturday and Sunday, that's kind of how you end up uh, with that weekend. That again, now we look at as kind of an escape from everything, but it really was you you have time to rest so that you can also think on the things of God and receive the gifts of God. And so we look at that. What day was the Sabbath, technically? Well, originally, the Sabbath in the Old Testament would run from what you know what we would call Friday uh, sunset, right, uh, until Saturday sunset. Um, and you know, if you ever are in a larger city, or if you're living in a larger city, or, or I guess any city that would have an Orthodox Jewish kind of community, you'll notice they usually, you know, are gathering for worship on Friday evening after. Uh, sunset. And again, in our culture, it's sort of a weird 
thing almost to see, like you think who would schedule worship on Friday night, right? You know, it seems, Mm -hmm. seems odd, but they're doing that. And then, you know, the rest of that other day or, you know, the rest of, I should say the same day, uh, you know, Saturday, uh, there, they're, they're dedicating to, to rest and sometimes to additional meditation on the, on the word of God. Um, I don't know if, how far you want to go at this point, but I mean, obviously, as as Christian people, we're we're told uh, in the book of Colossians that for us, the you know, we don't have to worry so much about a specific uh, time that we're taking that rest. You know, we don't have to worry uh, that because we're not using Friday sundown to to Saturday sundown as our Sabbath that we're somehow dishonoring God. But we are dishonoring God if we don't kind of take to heart this weekly call to rest and to worship, right? That's what we're called to do. Uh, and the Christians, uh, you know, I think even scholars disagree a little bit on how all this happened. But from, you know, my simplistic understanding, basically, um, the Jewish people both eventually did not want Christians in their own midst because they were always proclaiming Christ. Uh, and those who did not believe among the Jews did not want to hear that. So they were sort of pushed out of that Jewish uh, synagogue worship. And then they had begun the practice from Easter morning on of gathering on Sunday uh, to celebrate Christ's resurrection. And so, you know, where we sit, uh, we end up generally thinking of the Sabbath as Sunday. Uh, and it is, you know, a good a good practice. And again, what other day would we want to celebrate other than the day of our Lord's resurrection? As we look at the Sabbath it is quite fascinating because he really points away from a day, like you said so well, as Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, right? And, and as we look at the Sabbath, he speaks very clearly so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. So he's, he, he's pointing us to say, okay, you cannot say it's a specific day. Um, but it's uh, so what is it then? How would we just real bare bones definition, according to Luther, how would he define the Sabbath? Right. I mean, it is essentially he said, I think he would say it's sort of this whole um, holy uh, H-O-L-Y, right, devotion uh, to uh, God's word uh, and his gifts in the sense that um, we we hold those things as sacred, right? So uh, again, we don't say this is just another book or this is another message or this is another uh, speaker speaking a word if we're hearing the word proclaimed, right? But we say, no, this is the holy word of God given to us. And then the kind of the anticipated result is that if we really believe that genuinely, well, we're going to say any chance I get, I want to gladly hear and learn that, whether it's in my home uh, as an individual, whether it's in my home as a family gathers, whether it's uh, as the congregation does gather on a particular day or particular days, um, I want to hear that holy sacred word of God. What could be better, right? Uh, what what could I uh, put into my ears that could serve me better than that? One of the comments that is that I find have found in confirmation is it says we should fear and love God so we do not despise preaching and His word. 
And at first glance, you can say, oh, good. I don't despise it. Like I don't spit on the Bible. I don't throw the Bible away. I, I, you know, I, I listened to half the pastor's sermon. You know, I made it through confirmation class without sleeping. Um, how can that be misread? To, to just be basically, at, at least I'm not doing that, or I'm not, I'm not angry with the Bible. But what is, what is Luther really saying there? Do not despise preaching in his word. And what does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, when it gets right down to it, right, it is this kind of question of when we have the opportunity to hear it, right, is our response that of gladly hearing and learning it, or is it not? If it's anything less than gladly hearing it and learning it, and again, we all admit there are times, sadly, right, that we treat the Word of God this way, but but what what we're being called to here is that anything less than gladly hearing and learning it ultimately is despising the word of God, right? Because it is so special of a gift that if we treat it with anything less than full attention and kind of, you know, um, what do you say, just excitement about hearing it, oh, then we are despising it. I think you're right. That word we, we see as such a strong word that it makes it easy to say we don't do that. But again, <laughs> right, if <laughs> it, it's basically just the question, I mean, you know, maybe to get down to brass tacks, right, is on a Sunday morning, your congregation is gathering and you have this opportunity to gather. And how do you respond to that, right? Do you say, ha, ah, you know, it is good uh, to go to the house of the Lord, right? I, Lord, I love the habitation of your house. Or, right, do we say, oh, man, right, you know, I'm tired. I've, you know, I, the, the breakfast place in town looks good, whatever it is. All of those things are despising. And we shouldn't take it just because they're sort of lesser, um, I don't know, lesser things in our own mind when we do those things than to, like you said, say, oh, I hate the word of God, throw it in the trash. Uh, we still should take seriously that when we're making those choices, uh, we are really telling God that, that we don't we're not really all that interested in what he has to say or to give. And that's where we always are living in attention. So for example, that as Lutherans, you know, we are the church of the Lutheran hour, which means one hour and two minutes makes us a little nervous as, as Lutherans, <laughs> um, <laughs> not to mention Lutheran hour ministries, of course. But as we look at there's there's so many factors in here and we all if we go through the third commandment and actually look at exactly what you just said is that despising his word and preaching and his word is not just like you said not just the extremes but it is are we gladly hearing and learning it which really brings me to my knees of how many times we as pastors can be the worst judges of receiving the gifts from another pastor uh, we can have so many factors where our minds are running everywhere or we're maybe judging people in the middle of service uh, instead of like listening to the word of God or we're denying our devotion or we're, we're not thinking about it, but we're acting like, well, I did this at least. Or we, or we simply go to church and say, I've done my duty. And that's really something that, well, I don't know. How could someone go through this commandment and not feel the depth of our need for grace? Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, and sometimes when you have people that are, you know, the fruit uh, of the Spirit being acted uh, in them uh, causes them to say something that is so in line with this commandment, it really judges 
us, right? And the reason I bring that up is I never forget that I was serving a, a vacancy in another church. And so I was with a gentleman who was ill that I didn't know that well. And again, I didn't really think anything of it or really, you know, in my mind, mean anything of it. But what I said to him, because I knew he was having some tests and things, I said, well, I, you know, let me just share with you a a brief word of scripture, right? Or I, you know, or something like, I don't know, somehow I kind of made the point that I understood that he was busy. And so I was going to do something brief. And he just responds back to me, it's the word of God and I love it all. And in the most, in the most authentic way, right, you know, and in his words, you know, man, you know, all of a sudden, right, I'm dropped to repentance. Here I am the pastor and I'm kind of saying, yeah, let me do my little pastor thing before you go do your test, right? And, and he says, no, that's my life right there, right? You, if you need a few extra moments to get it across, go for it. And we have to remember that in all of our lives that I've seen that too in the Bible studies where you'll say, especially on Vicarage or for, for our listeners, Vicarage is where pastors do an internship, play pastor, but aren't a pastor. And, and on my Vicarage, I was going to do Bible study and I'm really green. Oh boy, am I green. Still am green, <laughs> but I was really green in those days. And I asked the group and there are a bunch of, you know, just wonderful, blessed elders of the faith. And, and I said, what book do you want to study? And one kind of silence. Like kind of what you're supposed to tell us. Um, and then and then one gal, Dorothy Croom was her name, and she says, they're all good. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that great? And that's exactly, that's an example of, of, of holding it sacred and gladly hearing and learning it that we often in these Ten Commandments, and we talked about this with Dr. Pless, is Luther set this up that it begins with, this is what you don't do. This is where you're sinning. But by the help of the Holy Spirit, this is what you do do as a baptized, redeemed child of God. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, how Luther does that? He begins with, okay, this is where you're breaking it. And then he shows us guidance, as we would maybe show as a, a use of the law, third use of the law, that shows us this is how you can fulfill this command. Any thoughts on, on how Luther lays it out for us? Yeah, I think if I can say in, in beginning on this is that, you know, one of the things we want to learn as we go through the commandments, right, is to, again, and this really hits with this commandment, is that we understand that the ways, even the commandments of God, the law of God truly is good, right? And so, again, while we uh, are judged by the law, uh, once we're forgiven of that and raised up to newness of life, then we say, man, right, I, I want to do this, right? I've mm-hmm. recognized that I've despised the word of God, and now, right, I, gosh, I want to glad somebody come and teach me this thing, right? Come and, uh, you know, give me some time here today that I can just sit and read the word of God. Um, so, yeah, it's not, it's certainly the commandments, I think in their end, and I don't know if this is exactly kind of what Dr. Pless was saying, but are not intended first and foremost to keep us from things, right? But to give us things, right? Uh, right. To give us, you know, the word of God, to give us, you know, later in the commandments, to give us, you know, people that are going to watch over us when we get to the fourth commandment, right? To give us marriage, you know, all these great gifts, that that's ultimately what God wants to do there. Uh, And we need to know that because I think, too, that helps us as we're talking to others about the ways of God. If, If we communicate to them that, you know, if what they hear from us is, 
the way of Christianity is just giving up a bunch of stuff, right? Well, Hmm. who wants to be involved with that? But if it's no, let me show you a more excellent way, right? Uh, That people can say, wait, okay, at least tell me about this, right? And then the spirit goes to work. Now, one final reality of the third commandment I want to address before our break is it, it literally in the Old Testament, the Sabbath meant you did nothing. I mean, they even had laws of saying, okay, don't do this. You can't walk this far. You don't do this. Don't do this. I mean, all these. So basically, you force people to rest. One of the more unique aspects, I would say, of Luther's teaching is that he uh, does not at all talk about rest. And, and you think that'd be a major, not a major, but a part of it at the very least. What are your thoughts on, on, and Luther talks about this in other parts of his writings where he does say, you know, rest is important. And so we're never good at that, Pastor. Speak to us about that. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is one of those things where we do have to look at ourselves and say, right, just the actual act of rest. Now, again, there are people given to idleness, given to laziness, and we're not talking about that in this context. But I think if those who are kind of on the opposite side, who think that there always has to be work and that there always has to be something sort of being produced, um, you know, that's a, a trouble here too. And in fact, it's at the heart of what this commandment would call us to act against. And why? Well, one, it is a yielding to God as creator that he knows what we need. And so if he has called us to rest, whether we think we need it or not, we trust, you know, his good hand that we we do uh, need that rest. Um, and then secondly, and I think this is something we forget at times, is that resting is also an act of faith in God's providence. That what we are saying is, I can take uh, Sunday off from working, and I'm not going to go broke. God is not going to leave me destitute because I dedicate myself to his word. Uh, and so every time we rest, it is a way of saying, right? I mean, again, we're not people that just say, well, we're never going to work and God will provide everything. No, six days you shall work. But on that last day, you say, God is the ultimate provider. And even if I am not active, he is active providing for me. Well, and I think this is a good reminder for us that even though it's not in the small catechism, it is our our encouragement, maybe exhortation for you, our listeners, is to rest a little bit. And guess what? God actually wants you to because we rest in him. Um, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a Sabbath. Even better, if you're able to rest and to be in God's word, like Pastor mentioned very well with this member, let me give you a brief word. And he's like, don't call it brief. This is the word of God living and active to give us peace and make us wise for salvation. Pastor, with a minute left before our break, any last thoughts you have on Sabbath rest and why it's good for us as Christians, or maybe encouragement how to do it? Yeah, I think the other thing, I guess the last thing I would do is just to say again, and you mentioned this just briefly there, that those scriptures also speak about Jesus simply being our rest, right? And so when we are doing this Sabbath, it also reminds us that our work, our striving ends in Jesus. And then if you take that and just go forward, you say, what is our ultimate 
um, end, right? Where are we headed? Well, it is a Sabbath rest sort of eternally, right? Not that we won't be active at all in the new heavens and new earth, but there will be no burden of work upon us. And so through Christ, he is giving us an eternal rest. And from the very beginning, he's been hinting at that through this commandment. Well, we need to take our break. We're going to study more of this, the third and fourth commandments of Luther's small catechism with Pastor Philip Hoppy, and we'll be right back. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Welcome back. We are studying the small catechism, the third and fourth commandments with Pastor Phil Poppy of Trinity Lutheran Church in Colby, Kansas. Now, Pastor, we have gone through the third commandment, and I know for sure that going through, let alone the first and second commandment, I get to the third commandment and I realize my need, one, for repentance, contrition, as we would call it, contrition in faith, the need for repentance and then, then also, we've talked about how we can do it better from here. Pastor, where's the good news as I read the third commandment and as we move forward to the fourth commandment? Where's the good news in this command and throughout Scripture? Well, I mean, isn't it awesome that in a sense, right in the midst of the law here of telling us what we ought to do, God is leading us to the very place we find Christ, right? As we are called to hear his word, what we will hear in the end is that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are saved, and that we are raised up, right, by the power of Christ, by his spirit, to then go and walk in newness of life. And that's all nothing but good news uh, to us who were enslaved to sin, to be freed from its guilt and power. So as we look at the next portion, which would be the fourth commandment, it is interesting to me, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, is you can go the first three commandments, and there's a way to kind of wiggle through this, especially as you teach confirmation. Um, a little bit, I would say, if you're in a group of longtime worshipers, that, okay, well, I'm doing pretty good up to the third commandment. But then the fourth commandment kind of hits us like a ton of bricks. And I, so I just want to prepare our listeners for this is that now it starts to get a little more real. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. so we look at this though, too, Pastor. I've noticed that it's good for us to rehash that these 10 commandments are not from nowhere. They're actually from the Bible because we can look at the small catechisms and go, okay, here are the rules, blah, blah, blah. Are the Ten Commandments in the Bible? Do you have insight on this? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely they are. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that I, I remember uh, earlier in life um, dealing with another Christian, and, and they were going through kind of their youth uh, you know, teaching catechesis, I guess you could say, but their their book they had was called The Manual, right? And mm. I always thought, you know, boy, that really just has a sound of it. It's, it's like a bunch of rules we've made up, right? 
right? And and like you said, it is good for us to know that, right? Again, these are the excellent ways of God, right? Given to God's people uh, after they had been redeemed from slavery and uh, before they were going to enter into this great promised land that God had for them. And so again, the really, when you read them in the original context, uh, they're not as, um, they, they, it doesn't come off as here's a bunch of condemning words for you, right? It's, I've saved you and now here is the way to live. Now, those same words do end up obviously condemning us all, <laughs> but I always think it's important in its original context to understand that these were, you know, the treasured possession of God's people. They considered themselves uh, blessed beyond all other nations because these things had been revealed to them. And so there's many references in the scriptures as well. Exodus 20 points us to the Ten Commandments. In Leviticus, it definitely rehashes those words. Like Leviticus 23 specifically talks about the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, we we hear more about the Ten Commandments. And so clearly, God, I've heard a lot of, of different talks on this, but you know, Deuteronomy 5 has it, that, that really... This is from the word of God, and it's for our good, not only for the sake of how we live, but ultimately pointing us again to Christ. And and that's a good reminder for everybody that the small catechism is the word of God. The book of Concord is in accordance with the scriptures. And, And that's easy for us to forget, as he said, you know, we could easily call it a manual. And you're like, okay, that's what it means to be a good Christian. But let's not forget that this is the word of God. Pastor, anything else before we get to the fourth commandment? No, I think, I mean, I think what you've said there is is really helpful to, to get that when we get into the catechism, sometimes it can almost seem like we're departing from the word of God. It's like, you know, well, up until seventh grade or fifth grade or whatever, you know, each church is doing, you know, we've been studying the scripture. Now we're going to go study this other thing called the catechism. And like you said, no, it's it's really just encapsulations of the word of God. Well, let's get to the fourth commandment. And I would encourage our listeners that maybe you want to recite this with me, that one of the key components that I learned uh, as, a, as, as a child, but also not, I wouldn't say that we read the catechism a ton, but it was something that we would do in confirmation. And it was, it was like, okay, let's get to a cadence here because there's a natural flow of the small catechism that, that we've been very intentional about. And, and, and also how we do it here is easily how you could do it at home as well. So let's continue on. The fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Pastor, how do we break the fourth commandment? Oh man, uh, we we break it in, <laughs> I suppose, all sorts of ways. And this is, you know, I think it always is good sort of teaching to take each commandment first in kind of its plainest sense, uh, uh, then from there kind of allow the word of God to broaden our thoughts on it. And so, I mean, just initially, you know, this is always, you know, I always joke that, right, fourth commandment, you know, every seventh and eighth graders favorite, you know, um, to, you know, honor their father and mother just in this time when they're sort of coming into their own, they, you know, feel they have their own ideas, they want some of their own independence. Uh, And so this is, you know, I always feel like when we typically are teaching this, it's a, 
a time when people are also struggling. But I, I think, you know, the older I've got, the more I learn that this is a, it is a constant struggle, right? To honor uh, father and mother in the plainest sense, right? And that it means different things at different times. Uh, you know, at my point of life now, you know, uh, it's my trying to consider, right? Uh, how can I be of aid to my parents, even though I'm a, a little bit at distance from them, right? Uh, that means something different than probably what it meant to me again when I was, you know, eight years old or 10 years old but not different in substance, right? I'm still trying to honor and help and obey and respect my parents. Um, And so I think that's, you know, we all have to start there with the literal parents that God has given to us, particularly if those people are still uh, present in our lives and reflect there. And I think generally we'll all find plenty there to repent of to start, uh, and then from there, we can talk about, right, the other authorities that God places in our lives as well. How could we, let's just say that you, our listeners, are our listeners have, their parents are no longer with them. Does that mean that this is kind of no longer in reference to parents, that it's no longer there? Or is there a way we could still uh, uh, break this commandment even when our parents are gone? Yeah, and I think there's two ways. One is I think we do see just in the scriptures in general a general call to honor those who came before us, right? And our parents are kind of the prime example of that because, you know, very generationally, they are the ones who were involved in, uh, you know, bringing us into existence, right? Obviously, God ultimately. But we, you know, we see that as this is the generation before us. So I think one, we can just honor those who are older than us in general. And I think this used to be, man, you know, pretty well understood in just culture in general that that uh, those that were older should be treated with respect and honor. And I think we've we've lost a lot of that. But then, like I said, the other way is to broaden this to think about all the authorities that God has placed into our, our lives. Um, and, you know, I always like here to think of this in terms of uh, kind of if, you know, we go to this other part of the catechism that I'm sure, you know, at some point you'll touch on a little bit more, but what's called the table of duties. When you look at it in the catechism, you know, it just sort of looks like this list of verses of what certain people are to do in certain ways. And it, and it is that. But it also, I think, always reveals to us that each of those things that's said to somebody really relates to this question of authority, right? And and Luther would say that we have, you know, authority uh, in three realms, in in, in three places, right? We have uh, authority in the home, and that's chiefly our parents, right? Uh, we have authority out in the world, in the state, and that's, you know, what we might typically think of as uh, presidents and, uh, you know, even we take this down to police officers and, and school teachers and some things in the government there as well. Uh, and then also in the church that we have this authority that God has given to us uh, of pastors in the church. And all of those are people that God has called uh, to give to us good gifts, right? If you look at any of the passages that talk about the people in authority, they are always told to serve those who are under them. They're not to use that authority for themselves, but they're to use that authority to help and to give uh, good gifts to those under their care. Um, 
on the other side, though, and you know where how this commandment kind of reads plainly, we need to think: Who are those other authorities in on my life, and how am I doing at honoring and respecting them? Right. So uh, we can think about our pastors. Right. We can think about uh, our government leaders. All of these different things. Uh, and again, when we broaden it in that way, unfortunately, we also probably just reveal uh, a lot more areas where we have fallen short. There is this reference in uh, the Table of Duties, which I would encourage our listeners in, in the Luther Small Catechism with Explanation. It's from page 33 to page 36. And in there, it speaks to children at the bottom of page 35. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for it, it is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. And this goes back to Deuteronomy 5, where it speaks that those same words about that there's a promise there that when we do follow this command, that there will be blessings. Um, it doesn't say all blessings. <laughs> it doesn't right. mean it's just going to be, you know, just, I always say this, a gravy train with biscuit wheels. That's not how this works. <laughs> but it is something where there's a promise there that if you, when you do follow this command, it will go well with you in your life. Any thoughts on that, Pastor? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that is, is critical to understand. And like you say, we're, we're often guarded against the extreme of this, which, you know, like you said, just suggests, well, if you do this and this, and then everything will go well and, you know, God will deliver your Lamborghini from Carvana, right? It'll show up in your, <laughs> your driveway, right? But sometimes in guarding against those excesses, we miss the simple promise of God that our lives will go well if we live in these ways. And again, why? Because this is the creator's order, right? This is how he has designed things to work. And so if we are fighting against his very order, we're going to find our lives in disorder. And if we're fighting against the very authorities that God has given to bless us, to provide for us, to take care of us, if we're fighting against them, we shouldn't be surprised if we find ourselves uh, with some uh, lack, you know, because uh, we're, we're fighting against the very ways in which God seeks to provide uh, not only physical goods, but, you know, things like, uh, you know, companionship, guidance, wisdom, all of these kind of things. So, yeah, I think it's it's very important that we that we understand that God here explicitly with this command in particular uh, promises that as we walk in these ways, uh, we will uh, be blessed in doing so in very real and tangible ways. So I'm going to go through a list of the authorities in our lives because we have our parents, like you said, that's the literal translation. You brought out some other authorities. I'm going to name a few and see if you can name a few as well. And for you, our listeners, this 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 should be good for you to reflect on as well. Who are my authorities? So I'll just go through a few: the police officers, my teacher, uh, my. Uh, my mayor, my governor, my president. Those are a few that I think of right offhand for a, for a young person who's in school, their teacher, they're in college, their professor, other people. Who are other authorities? Maybe I went through too many for you, Pastor, but do you have others on your mind? 
Well, I guess the the others that we can think of, I think, biblically, um, and again, this is one of these things that it's hard to mention in brief, but, you know, uh, even in the sense of in marriage, right, that the wife would look to her husband as an authority. Mm -hmm. And I know that's, like I said, it's sort of jumping into the, you know, deep in there without any time to, to swim out of it. Right. But, uh, but that's certainly an authority that's, that's listed in the Bible. Uh, and then this whole idea too, again, of pastors being authorities. And I know at times uh-huh. we, uh, you know, especially as we two pastors sit here and talk about this, you know, it sounds like, well, that's pretty self-serving, right. That, um, <laughs> but the scriptures are full of admonitions, right. That the hearers of the word would, um, you know, uh, obey their uh, leaders in the church. You know, in this great phrase we always get when we do installation and ordinations, we always read the passage that says, you know, do this because, you know, basically, you know, this way they can do their work among you with joy because if they, you know, have to do it with grief and sorrow, man, that's of no advantage to you either, right? But but so we do have these different authorities and each one, you know, obviously we're going to respond to our parents a little different, maybe than we do our teachers, right? And we're going to respond to, um, you know, our pastor a little differently than we would respond to the mayor in town, right? There are different natures of those relationships, but the basic thing that we're going to honor, respect, obey, right? Those go with all of those roles. So I, I do think this is, I like how you said this, that the responsibility and the I say manifestation of how we uh, honor is going to be different for your parents than it would be for your basketball coach or for you know your mayor versus your governor or your uh, president or whatever it might be, and that's why I like how the words are used, which I think is one of the biggest challenges. At first, we realize how we have failed. <laughs> that we have not honored our parents and other authorities. And this is something where I would encourage our listeners that if there's something that really is kind of nagging on you and ways that maybe you weren't respectful or, or honoring of your parents and your parents are still alive, it's a great opportunity to call them up and say, you know what, I remember when I did this and I'm really sorry about this or to other authorities that that happened. The beauty of it, when you do that, the Holy Spirit works through that by his word for people to reconcile in the name of Christ and forgiveness is given. Um, and so that's my cur- first encouragement. But the words that are very, very telling and and I want to say comforting to give us some guidance here. But it says, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. The call is high here, Pastor. Uh, can you break that down for us? How can I honor, serve and obey, love and cherish my parents and other authorities? Well, and I th- again here, I think, you know, as Luther goes on in his explanation, you know, again, he takes us from things that, that are a little bit more, those words that begin, you know, honor and obey, again, sound to us like taking away from us things, right? But then in the end, when we get to this love and cherish, again, we all of a sudden are saying, right? So, you know, no, I'm not listening to my coach, um, you know, because God will strike me down if I don't. I'm listening to my coach because I actually love and cherish them in the sense of, you know, God has placed that person in my life, uh, you know, hopefully to, to maybe to teach me a particular skill, but also I think most coaches, right, would would hope that they're teaching even more than just skills, right, but that they're actually trying to 
enrich those people's lives kind of more broadly. Um, and when you, again, understand the blessing that these people are in your life, rather than looking at them as powerful people over you that are just going to try to make your life miserable, well, then that honoring and obeying becomes a lot easier, right? That, that's when mm-hmm. uh, we've been studying First John, right? That's when that commandment no longer is a burden to us, right? Because we say, I just love this person. And they say, hey, try this, do this, you know, and you say, okay, for sure, right? I trust your word. You know, it's 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 ultimately like our obedience to Christ himself uh, or to the Father that, right, when we learn that his commands lead us uh, to those still waters and the green pastures, in Christian maturity, when he tells us do this or that, even things that we don't understand exactly where he's leading us, we go, well, this I know, he's leading me to a good place. I love and cherish him, so let me follow. I am really looking forward to the time where we go from the small catechism to the large catechism. Yeah, (laughs) Because Luther has a lot to say about the third, but even more so the fourth commandment, where he speaks about this vocation as parents to be, you know, besides worship of our Lord, second most high. Um, That this is the second most high vocation out there to be an instruction, but he definitely points it back that the role, and this calls us to another higher task for you, our parents out there, even grandparents, that 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 vocation is explicitly pointed back to how we started today of teaching the word to the next generation. So not only are they your parents, so I have to respect, love, and cherish them, but also because they bring us the word of God. And that connects to what you said as a, a pastor as well. So I would encourage our listeners that as we go through through four, third and fourth commandment, I was very blessed. I, I don't have any direct references to actually read the large catechism because it expands on it even further. Pastor, what are your some other thoughts you have on the fourth commandment and how it applies to today? No, I think you're right. Uh, the if we have parents listening, even though you know uh, Pastor Fenner, and I'll take you through that at a different time. If you have the large catechism, go and read that today because it's uh, Luther is very. Um, you know, at times very stark there, you know, he says that, right, our doing of this work of passing on the faith, he says, you know, we do it at, at, or we don't do it at peril of our own, losing our own salvation, right? I mean, strong words like that, where he says, this is, this is, I mean, you can't put this on the back burner. But also then as you, you know, reflect more on that, you think, you know, again, what a blessed thing that God has ordered things this way, that, you know, he not only puts parents and children in relationship in terms of like provision of food, but also in the passing along of the most you know, precious treasures we have. Uh, and when those things can be shared back and forth between children and parents, um, it, it's just a blessed thing in general, right? It enlivens the home and it uh, oftentimes can reduce stress and strife in the home as well, uh, just to have these conversations going on. Because if you're, if you're just thinking about how do I provide for my children all of these physical things and get them ready for college and all this kind of stuff, that's often stress upon stress upon stress. Right. But when you can actually, you know, maybe to draw the two commandments together, when you can stop and rest, right, and learn now about the word of God, hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Uh, what a what a what a treasure that is. Two things. The first reality 
as we look through the lens, and I would I, I would always say this with my time on Thy Strong Word, that we look at the scriptures with Christ goggles or Christ lenses. We also look at the world that way as ones redeemed by Christ, that the cross is our theology, that we're able to see the world in a new light because of that redemption we have in Jesus. And I think that does come through in this commandment specifically, which is why when you read the small catechism, put on your Christ goggles as well, because we look at the fourth commandment and then we're able to see that this police officer has been put there by God as my authority. And so therefore I see them in that position and say, okay, Lord, you have given me this person at this time. And that, and that it removes this, I don't really like that police officer. Right. Uh, same with our mayor or our governor or our president, whatever it might be. When, when the Holy Spirit, by his word, puts those Christ goggles on us, we're able to see that in a whole new light. And then we pray, Lord, help me to honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Because all of us, when we go through the list, like Pastor Hoppy and I have, that there's there's days that those people are not lovable. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and then at the same time, turn it on yourself. There are days that you as a pastor are not lovable, Pastor Hoppy. Right. Um, that there are days you are not cherishable. And that's where uh, we're, we, we pray, Lord, give us those Christ goggles for us. One, fulfill our vocations. Two, um, to see people that God has placed them there at this time and help us, Lord, to honor, to love, and to cherish them in all ways. Your thoughts on that? I have one more one more highlight I want to bring up, but any thoughts on that? Well, I would just say that you know, as we gain that attitude of loving and cherishing, the other thing that leads us to, which the scriptures probably speak about in regards to authority, you know, uh, one of the main things they tell us to do is pray for those in authority, right? Mm -hmm. And so we also want to remember that part of our honoring and obeying all those authorities is to pray for them in their roles, right? It's easy to sit back and go, how did the, why would the president do this? But again, we have to admit, we do not have the responsibility, right, that that president has upon his shoulders. And so let us pray again, not that they would just do whatever they want or something, but that they would have godly wisdom, that they would have wise counselors among them, you know, and things like that. But but that's one other way we practically show honor and authority. And this is the same too. Kids, pray for your parents, right? Uh, mm. Lay people, pray for your pastors. Uh, all these things we're, we're called to do and we need to do. And I want to encourage our listeners. There's so many examples. First of all, if you have an example out there and you want to send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, of how to honor, love, and cherish, serve, and obey your authorities, I would love to hear them. Because I remember one other example that I heard from um, somebody, or I encouraged somebody to do, is people in the nursing home or in assisted living, that that can be very difficult. What is my role now in life? Because I'm not able to do this, not able to do that. And I, and I, one time a person said, what do I do? And I said, the best thing you can do is to pray for your authorities. And like, what do you mean? Well, every day you have a, a, a person, a CNA that comes in, or you have a nurse that comes in, or the administrators walking around the halls, whatever it might be. When that person comes in your room, God is calling you to pray for him. I mean, these are your authorities yeah. to pray for. And by the Holy Spirit, by his word, he changes our hearts to be able to see things differently. And so I do encourage our listeners, if you have any thoughts on on how that can be done, I really want you to send us an email and, and give us just a kind of a brainstorm, if you will. Also, on that note, I want to I do this. 
if you um, have a way that you uniquely or creatively have brought the small catechism into your home, um, I want to hear about it. How do you do it? Do you do it at the dinner table? Do you do it before bed? Do you do it when you wake up? Do you do it in the car? Do you do it while you walk? How do you incorporate God's word into your daily life? And I want to hear from you. Pastor, we have about a minute and a half left in our time. How would you summarize the third and fourth commandments, point us to Christ, and encourage one another in his name? Yeah, again, I think, you know, uh, when we just think about the basics, right, again, to think about what God is trying to give us through these, right, so that God does want us to have rest, and he wants us to have rest that gives to us his good word and his good gifts, Uh, and so, you know, we rejoice at that commandment. And then again, with the authorities, while like you said, at times, uh, on particular days, they can be very hard to deal with. Uh, but yet that on the whole, uh, we rejoice and say, thanks be to God that God not only watches over me from the heavens, but he also watches over me through these authorities that he's placed in my life. They are the the means of God's provision and his protection and uh, all the other things that God wants to do. And so, you know, again, I guess I'd just like to leave us, you know, kind of marveling at um, what God uh, has given to us, and how even these commandments, which you know are, are law, uh, they still reveal to us God's goodness, His mercy, and His grace. Pastor Philip Hoppy, Trinity Lutheran Church in Colby, Kansas, uh, given us God's strong word from the small catechism. Pastor Hoppy, thank you for bringing us His gifts. Oh, so glad to be with you. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Fenner, and thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. Thank you.